0: Tired of asking why? Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast, where we are answering life's most difficult questions. Now, here's your host, Teresa Blaze.
1: Welcome to the Unresolved Life Podcast. I'm Teresa Blaze, and today I've got a real treat for you guys. This is Tim Morris, and he runs a uh, company or or, or uh, ministry called Discovery Design, and. I can tell you just from my interactions with him um, that God is really doing a work through him. That said, Tim, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you, Teresa. Glad to be here.
1: Well, we are glad to have you. Let's back up, and first of all, can you tell us a little bit about Discovery Design, and then we'll kind of go back and cover, like, how did you get into this?
0: Just a real quick correction. It's Design Discovery. Oh,
1: my bad. I apologize.
0: But no problem. But it's common. People can flip them. (laughs) (laughs) I actually went through a process called design discovery with my mentor uh, back when I started at seminary in Denver at Denver seminary in 2004. And he uh, was only doing it with people. He was mentoring at the time and gave me the curriculum that he was taking people through. And so I, I started using it and found that it was working, but people started giving me feedback of, elements that were working weren't working for them a lot of it had to do with language that had been outdated so I started changing it and eventually rebuild it from the ground up and started to really digging into the theology of knowing our god-given design especially around the heart it ended up becoming a bit of a different animal than what I started with and uh, have gone through several different iterations of it and now I'm getting ready to uh, give people the rights to use the curriculum with their own clients as well. That's wonderful.
1: When you were talking about design discovery, what are we actually talking about?
0: When I am referring to what what does it mean when someone's what does design mean? It's referring to, this is a framework to help people understand how God has wired our desires. So the framework right now, the way I build it and the way it's uh, the current iteration is The superpowers, which are basically your talents or your abilities, the tools you're designed to work with, which can be tangible or intangible, your environment you're designed to work in, which can be as simple as, I'm not designed to be in a cubicle, I'm designed to be in a coffee shop, or I'm designed to be outside. Uh, The people you're designed to work with, and the fruit you're designed to produce, which is another way of saying the product you're designed for. Which is a really good approach yeah
1: wait a minute wait a minute the fruit you're designed to produce where does the Bible say I mean because a lot of people they sit there wait Jesus just says bear fruit are you saying that people can produce different kinds of fruits or that there's some things that work for some people and, and things that work for others?
0: Yes <laughs> in short so basically it's the concept of you know the scriptures are all over the place is the concept of fruitfulness. Like, like you just mentioned, uh, commonly it's it's used in the context of telling a, a, a good, you know, if there's a wolf in, you know, you can tell it by their fruit. Um, or in John uh, 15, you know, bear fruit uh, in Jesus and abide in him. Um, if we abide in him, we bear much fruit, kind of a concept. But the way I'm approaching this is an, even, a, it's a different step. It's when you are engaging the way God made you, when, when you are engaging your gifts, we could use that language. You produce something every time you engage your gifts. So there's, let's just happen to say that you, Teresa, are producing a podcast. You produce something when you're done. So it's actually you actually have something that's digital. You have something that's an experience. It's audio. Those are all fruits. They're they're products. They're the end game that when you're done doing this thing it's it's a thing that you can walk away from that you have uh, so we all we all are constantly making things and the idea of fruit is basically getting to the idea that we are all creative so if we're all creative then we're all creating something there's a creation at the end so the question is what is that creation that we're all uniquely designed to make and that's what the idea of fruit gets at and so you know i work with, i work with a lot of entrepreneurs and i'll meet with them and ask them So why do you sell the product or service that you do? And a lot of them will look at me confused, like, uh, well, because it's profitable, of course, Tim. And then I'll ask them, well, what if what you sold actually aligned to your purpose? Like, what what if what you sell is actually what you're designed to sell the product? And they're like, you can know that? And that's what the fruit section is. <laughs>
1: that's kind of a weird that's kind of a weird uh, take on on the whole fruitfulness thing, don't you think?
0: <laughs> no, it, it gets at it from an angle where I'm trying to show like from the very beginning, we everything in this world is organic, and fruit is one of those things that we can all relate to. and there's a reason that metaphor is used all over in the Bible because we get it. There's organic life in everything we do. Uh, there's an end product in everything we do. Uh, So the question is, are we actually offering that to others in a way that aligns to how we are designed to do it? You
1: you seem to kind of go back to, I mean, you're you're referring to uh, we are created a certain way, and you also said um, that this is about the heart. And the heart within, I mean, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, it seems to me the heart is a very controversial topic because a lot of people kind of have a especially within the christian context they have a very bad view of it because of what the bible says
0: this is a big uh soapbox of mine if you will and i guess since i'm on the mic i'll talk about it yeah there's a terrible view of the heart in the church and a lot of it comes from misinterpreting jeremiah 17 verses 9 the heart is deceitful the heart is deceitful above yep yeah so and there's a couple different verses people mash together but it's a misinterpretation of how to handle the heart in the entire Old Testament and the New Testament. And basically what happens is people read up to Jeremiah 17 and then they hit the brakes and they don't keep reading the rest of the book. And the rest the rest of the book talks about the new covenant um, in chapter 31. And the new covenant talks about that we basically are given a new, refreshed, rewritten heart. But then there's also the issue of,
1: but doesn't the heart lead to sin? Doesn't the heart in itself, I mean, because you know, you've are you got your own desires, and your desires are often fleshly and self-serving and sinful.
0: Well, that comes from that interpretation of Jeremiah 17. Um, so, yeah, I would argue that we still have a flesh, a sinful nature, but that's different than the new heart. So basically the idea that is that the new covenant that we, if you follow Jesus, you're going to, I hope you're going to admit The new covenant is fulfilled in Jesus, which according to Jeremiah 31 and in Hebrews 8, it shows like this. It quotes the new covenant passage from Jeremiah 31 as as being fulfilled in Jesus. So basically, my starting point is, well, we all have a new heart if we follow Jesus, a new refreshed heart, which basically means in that context, our motives have been washed clean in Jesus. So basically, when you follow Jesus, this means your motive is now the the idea of you being your motives being washed is basically you now your motives are now to serve Jesus first. It's not just to serve ourselves or even serve others. Your first motive is switched. So that's what actually shifts when people actually get, quote unquote, born again, or they go through that process of being born again, is they now want to honor Jesus first. That's a new heart.
1: I'm thinking of that passage in Corinthians. Don't ask me exactly where, but it says, "If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All the old things are gone. All- behold, all things have become new."
0: Bingo! Yeah, Second Corinthians five seventeen. That's so. That you're exactly right. So the new creation is the new. It, you can connect it to the new heart easily there. So basically, your heart's desires are now to honor Jesus. So. So basically, there's been a part of you since day one, even before you may have known Jesus, that you had a part of you that was made in the image of God. That was not always—your your motive was not always this black and white, like, always out to for greed or always out for lust. Like, there's still goodness in us because we are made in the image of God. Now, there is a flesh, and we, it needed redeemed.
1: Now, wait a minute. Let's back up. Let's hold on a minute because— to say that there's some there's goodness within the person without Christ before we know him, doesn't the Bible say that we were born into sin? I mean in, in the Bible in, in the book of Psalms it says you were born into sin and out of the out of iniquity you were conceived.
0: Yes, and I have no problem saying that. But I also have to say when you start in chapter one in Genesis, we're made in the image of God. And so there I think there's a tension where there's always gonna be both. We're made in the image, and that's the reason why people still do good things. I've coached people that don't follow Jesus who want to go work with refugees overseas. They don't know Jesus. Is that good? Yeah. <laughs> so it's I don't think it's one or the other.
1: Do you think it's because of the moral code that God has, iner- has has kind of placed within us? I mean, is it so much that we have a good nature or is it so much that we just have a moral written code that he has placed because the Bible says that he's placed eternity within our heart?
0: What I'm going to say on this topic is that there's, there's, a couple, there's a couple ideas in the scriptures that seem to work together. So I would call this a paradox. They work together. They seem like they contradict each other, but they don't. So the one side of it is, We are made in the image of God, and we have immense value and worth because of that. And number two, we have fallen, and we have walked away from Him, and both are still there. So we still have the imprint of the Father in us, but we need Jesus to fix us, which He does. So it's both. So you're going to see signs of the image of God in people all over the place. I mean, that's why the people that are missionaries, a lot of them go overseas, and they're quite confused because they meet people of different faith backgrounds who seem to be living much more, much more lovingly than a lot of Christians they know.
1: Right, that's a pretty gnarly statement against the church. If if you want to be oh, honest. Oh yeah,
0: well I see it all the time. So I, I hear missionaries tell me like, "Well, yeah, this person is." <laughs> um, they're doing a lot more. They're they're a little more of a servant than they're used to seeing Christians acting. So 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 there's that. But there's the piece of the, the cosmic reality of. Jesus is the only one that could solve that through his death and resurrection. So, but a benefit of that, that is commonly um, forgotten is that we get a new heart. So those desires we have now, we are allowed to start listening to. And this has become a widespread problem where, you know, people might say, well, I, I have the desire to be an architect. Well, they're quoting Jeremiah 17 to say, to prove that, well, I can't listen to that because it's just evil. Well, like, they're completely different topics. I mean, you can still have a desire to do something good, and it's okay because that's in the image of God in you anyways. But now we're at a different point. You know, when we're given the new heart, we're allow- I think we're allowed literally to just listen to it. Now, that always comes with a caveat of we're supposed to be in relationship and in connection with the Father.
1: If you know Christ, don't you automatically have a relationship with God?
0: Well, yeah, but uh, how much people actually practically carry that out is going to be up to people. I mean, yeah, people typically early on, they read their Bible and they pray, but it's often a one-sided relationship. What I'm advocating is as we're growing in our faith, our relationship with God needs to become more and more two-sided, where it's a dialogue where we're learning to hear His voice. And, yeah, we need our community involved, you know, things like that um, for accountability and purposes and not just purposes like we need community. But I believe the kind of life that was advocated in the Bible was not just read your Bible. It was actually engaging the spirit and talking with him and listening to him. You know, my big joke, Well, it's not really a joke, but I believe God speaks in English (laughs) Um, and he speaks whatever your native tongue is. So he knows how to get in there and communicate with you because he made language. I mean, none of this is a, is a new concept. But so, yeah, so the two things that I'm advocating are pretty radical often to some people is that number one, it's time to start listening to our heart because Jesus gave you it and he's going to communicate through your heart's desires. And number two, he's still talking. Those two concepts, <laughs> they can blow some doors off of some, some people's worlds.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at the more... conservative side of the church you go in and you kind of propose something like that and they're going to go wait a minute you can't know that how can you say that god speaks to you how what right you know god spoke through his word
0: and i wouldn't argue he's not i would say absolutely and he's still talking (laughs)
1: let's say someone says okay i want to i want to start this process but what are, are some of the biggest barriers to listening hearing from god and then listening to your heart.
0: I've done some workshops on this and I've seen this quite a bit. Usually people that struggle to hear God's voice are perceiving God as some kind of a tyrant. That, that was, that's part of my journey is, you know, I tell people, look, if you learn to hear God's voice, you're going to deal with it. You're you're actually going to deal head on without a filter as to how you actually perceive Him. It's going to come out pretty quick. As soon as you sit down to listen. Well, you're not reading a Bible anymore. You're actually posturing your heart and your ears to talk right to God. And so you, while you're waiting, I tell people sometimes when they're learning to hear his voice, if they want to see where they're really at with God is sit down with an open journal. And as soon as you start to listen to God's voice, write down all the emotions you're feeling right, right oh, then.
1: That's a radical
0: place to go. And yeah, those emotions will pretty much tell you how you actually perceive God. So a lot of us in our head, we're like, oh, he loves me, and he's, he's all sovereign and powerful. But when we break it down, where <laughs> he feels like a tyrant, a Zeus, he doesn't sound like the, the God that's revealed in the Bible, the way Jesus talks about him. I mean, for me, the idea of when Jesus shares the story of the prodigal, and that father is someone that runs after his son, he gives him a big hug. He kisses him and then he throws a party for him. That's not the father that I perceived God was for a long time.
1: One of the passages that has always scared me because I've always and perhaps I've read it through a filter. When Jesus says, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, and and then you got all these people that go, well, Lord, didn't we do this and that and this and that in your name? And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. I always read that. And even as a believer, it sends a chill down my spine Um, because my first thought is I don't want to be that. That scares me.
0: I think a lot of that topic is related to there is a huge emphasis in the New Testament on the heart. Like when Jesus says when there's evil things, they come from your heart. I think the scriptures all over the place are trying to advocate that we need washed at the deepest levels, which is our heart. And so acts act, doing things to God, apparently, from that scripture, like you're saying, so what? It's about your heart.
1: How did God get you to this place where you're going, yeah, okay, new heart, new listening to him? What was your story?
0: You know, a lot of this I would connect to uh, the idea that I did not fit a typical the typical mold of people that went to seminary. So when it comes to Myers-Briggs, I'm a P, which is typically the spontaneous uh, on-the-fly adventurer. Most people, I think, that thrive in the Western Academy are, are J's, which usually are pretty linear. They, they need to plan things out ahead of time kind of a thing. I was in an academic system that, quite honestly, the, the Western academic system is very scientific, very scientific method-based. It's very logic-based. And, and I'm more of an artist at heart. So here I am at seminary, and I'm noticing I'm procrastinating. I mean, I, I probably didn't learn how to be productive until my fifth year at seminary, until my fifth year in grad school. Okay, <laughs>
1: how, did, how so did that work it, out?
0: <laughs> well, I started to actually explore the que- a question that I wasn't looking at before, which was, uh, wh- when I would try to do my research papers up to that point, you know, the typical way I was taught to write a paper is, First, you go find a bunch of really good, quote unquote, legitimate sources on a topic written by some authorities, you know, jot down some notes on what they say. And then the next step is you start writing your own thing and then you turn in your paper and it's done. Well, that's that's a really good process for a J for someone that's very linear. That is not a life giving process for someone that's more prone to be an artist or artisan.
1: I would agree with that. That's why. That's one of the reasons why I I've, I've actually gotten into mind mapping a little bit.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's a nonlinear process. Um, so this process, I noticed. You know, for example, with procrastination, you know, I would even have a couple of teachers say, "Well, Tim, your mo is is you're always the one that's turning things in late, or you know, it, it, you're just not you're not you're not crushing it like all the other guys are." And sort of that was the message I was feeling. And it wasn't until later I realized. Well, for one, you're giving me assignments that are killing my soul. I'm a creator. I need to be creative in the way I'm doing things. So I started realizing that the message I was dealing with, and I've dealt with my whole life. I mean, I did okay in school and college, but it wasn't until I had these big papers to do where I realized I can't write these in one night. The message that I felt was that I was lazy uh, because I would procrastinate. And I ended up realizing that when I procrastinate, it almost always means I'm not in my design somehow. So it doesn't mean I'm lazy. It means I'm not tapping my heart's desires, which means I'm not coming alive. I'm not motivated. So as soon as I realized that, I started asking myself, well, how can I change this assignment around a bit to make it funner? So essentially for me was, how do I make this more creative just for myself, just to enjoy the process? So that was a huge bridge for me to start really realizing this stuff is real. This is really important that people are tapping their design because I saw it in my own life. As soon as I did that, my productivity levels soared.
1: So you shifted around so that you were more creative. So what does that mean? Okay. Cause someone hears that and they go, man, I'm in this place where I'm dying. Maybe they're in a ministry. Maybe they're doing, uh, maybe they're sitting in school and they got teachers demanding things of them. maybe they're at home and they got the overbearing parent. That's like, and they're sitting there going, man, I'm dying here. What am I supposed to do with this?
0: The first step and this is why I think this is crucial in the church is that we're admitting heart is okay to listen to. So your your heart's design, which is really it's really another way of saying your desires, they're worth listening to. Like so in other words, you are going to be unique from everyone else you know and typically that means you're not mom and you're not dad and you're not your sibling who might have done a certain way in school. You're not your friend, you're you.
1: Wouldn't it be said, because a lot of people that address that will say, well, you just need to learn God's will. You know, you just need to know what he wants you to do and operate in that, because then you will be at peace. And therefore, it's not a matter of heart's desire, it's a matter of learning God's will.
0: And and that's a good point. And what I would say back to that is, when we talk about what does God will for us, it's another way of saying, what does God want or desire for us? Well, he wanted us to have a new heart, because he gave it to us. Therefore, it's okay to listen to it.
1: So you said the first step is to understand that the heart is okay to listen to. What is the next step in this?
0: You know, when it comes to just broadly exploring, you know, if, if you're doing an assignment at school or even like cooking at home, the, the first question I'm going to ask people is what would make that task fun for you? My wife loves cooking with what we have in the, in the pantry or in the fridge. She just lo- she just comes alive by taking the resources very I have. Now, me... I'm going to go online and I'm going to learn how to master that thing. And then I'm going to go to the store and be ridiculous and buy the best ingredient and come home and make something that I would hope would be a masterpiece. I, you know, I have to, so, you know, we all have this thing called pride that we're dealing with and that's where the flesh comes in. So by the way, I want to define the flesh because we talked about that a little bit earlier. I would define the flesh as the part of you that resists everything of who God is. So part of that is going to mean it's the part of you that resists the heart he gave you, which means typically the flesh comes out. It it comes out to play when you start nearing a step of courage in your life. It comes out and goes, no, no, no. That's gonna be scary and uncomfortable. I don't want you to do that, so stay in bed and don't How out. do you
1: figure that? Because that you you usually end up in addictions, you usually end up, you know, dealing with anger issues, you're usually dealing with all kinds of things, adultery, sexual issues, all kinds of things that the Bible would label sinful or fleshly.
0: Well, so what I'm saying is, if yeah, those are, those are going to be black and white issues that the flesh is all about, too. So it, that's opposing the way God meant it. But the, the deeper, more uh, cunning part of the flesh, if you will, is the part that fights the heart God gave you. So if you are designed by God to be an entrepreneur or if you are designed by God to be a garbage man, it's going to tell you don't do that because that requires you to take a step of courage because I've never met someone who's designed to do something that doesn't fear it at first because it calls you out. You have to depend on the father when you actually follow your design. It, a lot of people tell me, like, Tim, this design thing, it's all about fluffity, puffity, niceness, happiness, and making money. Like, it's, that isn't Jesus. And I'm like, hold, you don't even know what I'm talking about. Like, following your, de- your design is going to sometimes be the hardest thing you've ever done. Like I'm I'm writing books right now that scared the tar out of me not long ago.
1: I can so relate because our uh, God has me writing a book and I'm I'm going, I don't
0: want to do this. I don't want to do this. Yeah. Yeah, but we do want. We really want it. so it calls us out. So there's that that part of us that's used to comfort, that part of us that's used to the status quo, that doesn't want to have to depend. Because the more you step in your design, the more you have to depend on the father. That's flesh.
1: And see, with that, you sit there and go, there's also the element of trusting the father. Which, by the way, I have run across, and I because I've dealt with it myself, where you want me to trust him? Uh, no, no, no. I got this. I, I, we're good. I got this.
0: Stepping in your design is going to be, you're going to have to take some risks. So there is some trust on levels. You know, and God's the designer. He knows how he made you and he's pretty stoked about it. And he knows it's going to require you to be in connection with him. It's not, you know, a lot of the a lot of the ways we've sort of advocated Christianity as a deism, which means it basically it's a philosophy that God winds up the world like a clock. Like he made creation, he winds it up like a clock and then he leaves. That's deism. But it's not we're not the spirit is alive and in here. So the idea of living out the way God made you, your design, and it requires you to interact with him while you're doing it because <laughs> he knows how to cut through our fear. He knows how to help you through your doubts. Um, he knows how. And here's the thing. He loves us having fun. He's not a jerk. He's a fun, crazy papa.
1: <laughs> and that, that right there is like you, you tell someone that and you go and they go, what? Wait, what? I thought, but I thought you had to be a certain way.
0: Yeah, and they say that because their theology has been so systemically woven around the idea that the heart cannot be listened to. If you have that theology in your background, it basically makes God not a very fun person.
1: Wow, I could actually see that. I could actually see that because you're going, I want to do his will, but man, sitting down and talking to him and, and hearing him and trusting him. Oh, that's like pulling you know, that's like uh give me a root canal without novocaine. I'd rather take that than 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 risk this.
0: Yeah, and and it's true. I mean in, until you experience him speaking so gently and so kindly, you know, In my opinion, God is the quirkiest being on earth. He's funny, he's playful, he's a jokester. Wait, playful? A jokester? Are we talking about the same God? Yeah, well I'm I'm hoping we are. Yeah. <sighs> He, he is the fulfillment of all of the good things we know in this world about people. And, you know, if we love playful people, guess who's playful? We are made in his image. We are made like him. Therefore, he's like us. Therefore, he's playful. That is... And crazy. He's crazy.
1: <laughs> but you tell so many in the, in the church that, and, you, and you're like, how can you believe that? You know, and it's funny because you're, you're reminding me of a book that John Elbridge wrote, which was a beautiful outline. He brought out some of the same concepts. And I went and, you know, when I first read that, I went, huh? No one has ever told me that.
0: Yeah. And you know what? We read the Bible and there's a lot of white noise that comes from our traditions of our past. And I'm I'm thankful for my past. I'm thankful for the traditions. But we gloss right over some of those really squirrely, raw parts of the Bible that we don't know what to do with. Like God being someone that runs after his kids, gives them hugs and kisses them. I mean, that's the parable. Jesus is trying to tell us that as it's not just a parable to talk and be nice and sound good. He's trying to tell us that that's who the father is. He's he's willing to embarrass himself and let his robe come up and let the public see him exposed because he loves you that much. That's who Jesus tells us. But, you know, there's We've not always been modeled that. We've been modeled a very safe God, who you know they call it the the blue eyes and blonde hair Jesus, <laughs> the safe God. He's not safe. He's crazy. I mean, read your Bible. I mean, I'm there, but I'm with you. I, I'm just being playful. I like. I'm just saying. The more I, I take my my mask off, that comes from all of these theological systems that I've had, which I'm thankful for them. But when you read Jesus without any. Filter there. He's
1: great. True. I mean, he does have some moments where you're like, what was up with that? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. And I love Jesus for that. I He's in my listening prayer times. He tells me stuff that's funny. He'll ask me questions that are quirky or playful. He'll invite wait, wait, hang, me. On, hang
1: on. How do you define listening prayer? Let's Let's go into that.
0: Yeah. So by listening prayer, that basically means he's talking in your mind, in your mind's eye. Um, he often, he's speaking to you via your thoughts and I, you know, there's people I know that can hear his voice, have heard his voice audibly. I, the, the idea here is that he speaks often in your mind, just like, you know, the idea of spiritual warfare. When you break spiritual warfare down, when it comes to an actual demonic intrusive attack, it's usually the enemy planning a thought in your own mind. Oh, uh,
1: okay. Wow. There's, oh boy, there's so many. Cabinets. Worms upon worms. Oh yeah. Let's start with the, the thoughts in the mind. First of all, how do you tell the difference between him and the old mud in between your ears?
0: Basically the the first way I would say that, you know, it's God is, is the tone of voice loving. So uh, Dal- I was actually at a conference uh, with Dallas Willard, the spiritual disciplines master he's since passed away but I heard someone ask him this question and he said oh this the answer to this question is easy it's the tone the weight and the content so that the, the tone is, is is his tone is his tone the God that's in the Bible is he loving but honest so if it's a condemning voice in your head it ain't Jesus you know that is there a heaviness to the weight of it then you know it's not Jesus typically Is the content violating the principles in the scriptures? Are you hearing go get a divorce when the scriptures are saying don't do that? It's pretty clear that's probably not of Jesus. Now, there are some gray areas that I would say sometimes you actually have to look for a theme in your life to see whether it's God or not. So sometimes, like, if I'm not sure I'm hearing God right, I might ask him this other question, too, that goes along with the theme. God, can you tell me that in another way? And you know what? The Father knows every word in my vocabulary of my brain. And there have been times where he has used a synonym for the word that I heard, and I never heard the word he brought up as a synonym. I go and look it up in the dictionary, and I'm like, "Wow, that was the same thing he was saying the first time in another way. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So you can actually question him? Yes, he's a person, and that's, that's the idea. If we're made in the image, that's a big part of the image, is we are interactive, live people, so... Yeah, I think your relationship with God will take on new dimensions when you start having a dialogue where it's not just a, even, you know, a lot of people when we talk about prophecy, it's, I heard God say, buy a cat. And it's like, well, did you talk back? Did you ask him, like, where or why? (laughs) They're like, no, I didn't know I could.
1: Let's back up. I mean, because I have heard this argument so often it's not funny. In fact, just recently, and it's don't question God. He's God and you're not.
0: There is a principle in the scriptures that you are allowed to engage God. The only time that I can recall that someone is actually quote unquote rebuked for testing God is with Gideon's fleece. And guess what? God still gives him an answer. Wait a
1: minute, back up. I thought he... I. Why would he rebuke him? Because he he laid the fleece before him saying, God, would you please do this? If you would you do this or that?
0: Well, because there's doubt in the picture. And so but when it comes to listening, prayer, you know, the primary question I'm going to ask thats it's sort of that all encompassing filter, in my opinion, is would a loving father say this? So if he's the most loving father you can imagine, would the most loving father in the world tell you you're a piece of trash? No, he wouldn't. Now, would the most loving father in the world ask you, maybe ask you a question that will stretch you? And may he present a situation to you that is going to call you out? Yeah, a good parent is going to want their kid to grow and stretch. So, so the big question I hear a lot, and here's an example of that. When I have a situation where I may have option A or option B in front of me of a situation of a job I could take on or something, almost always now when I ask God, Jesus, what do you want to say to me about this, this situation? I hear him say, well, what do you want to do, Tim? <laughs>
1: oh, wait, 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 I, but we're supposed to do what you want. God, wait a minute. Why are you asking me? Exactly,
0: And this gets back to that idea of his will is to know that we have a new heart to listen to. So if I'm a parent, I mean, I'm, I'm a parent now. I know that my role with my daughter now is to start helping her develop as much as I can, which means you know, there's a phrase I like in regards to parenting of never do something for your child that they can do for themselves. So the same goes true with God. I mean, there's times where I'll step in and say, Tim, go left. Don't go right. You don't see it. I see it. Don't do it. That happens in the Bible. But to be honest, it's not it's it's more than you know the exception of it. Well, it's the same. It's um, the same
1: point when God told Abraham uh, back in Genesis when Abraham was uh, doing his, you know, when he was kind of off in or of the Chaldeans or whatever, and God said, "Take everything you got and just go, and I'll tell you when to stop."
0: Yeah, exactly. There's times where He's going to do that, but see, that's where if if we're in connection with Him, which means we're just soaking in the Scriptures, which means we're in community with other believers, but we're also listening to Him. Then we'll know that when he's throwing those red lights and telling us to go the other way. But I I truly believe if God wants us to grow up and become sanctified people who, at the deepest levels of of who we are, which is called our heart in the Jewish worldview, is to become the kind of people who will do what Jesus would want to do, then he's going to have to do things with us that grow us up, that cause us to take risks. So he's not telling us what to do. He's letting us discover Sometimes by messing up what actually works, what actually would be what Jesus would want us to do.
1: Yeah. And, that, and, and, and I think we become so afraid of this. Like, I don't want to screw up. I don't want to hurt you. That's often my argument. You know, I don't, I don't want to sin. I don't want to screw up.
0: Yeah. Well, the more we experience God as a loving pops, the more we'll be okay screwing it. Or the more we'll give ourselves freedom to quote unquote fail. The father that teaches his child how to ride a bike, and that, you know, in the, when they present the child with the bike for the first time with the training wheels, at that point, that child already has some rapport with their dad or their mom. And they go, you know what, if I fall over on this bike, dad's not going to beat me up because dad loves me and he's just trying to help me ride a bike. But there's a lot of us that are cowering when we're around God because that's how we've experienced it, that he's out to get us.
1: And that should even be said of the, of someone who's not in the church. I don't want to, I don't want to become one of those Christians. God's just got the hammer. He's going to beat me up. I mean, look at this whole judgment thing. I mean, it talks about God's wrath and I, 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 I don't want to deal with that kind of God.
0: Yeah. And here's the crazy thing. So when I talk with people who are not believers nowadays, like I see someone coffee shops and I talk with them when I tell them that Jesus talks to me and he says loving things to me, they look at me with crossed eyes
1: I wonder why.
0: And then when I tell them he loves me listening to my heart and he loves it when I love what I do, you know what? They look at me and think, I know they think this deep down. They go, that's really good news. That's gospel. I I mean, if you don't have the ability to listen to your heart and have a real dynamic conversation with the father, you sort of become this person that's supposed to be a good news carrier, you know, an an evangelist. a a un euangelion in greek which is an evangelist it doesn't really always come across as good news anymore it comes across sort of like boring news or bad news i mean but when you are interacting with a father that really does ask you those kinds of questions and really does engage you like a loving father and really lets you have fun and play you sort of struggle to not be living it out and you sort of struggle to not show it.
1: Well here's the question because a lot of people say, well the thing is you also I mean God is love, but he's also holy, therefore you have to Jesus says to be holy as I am
0: holy. Yeah, holiness is definitely part of it, but there again, this is a paradox. The two work together at the same time. The idea is that if you have the heart of the Father, your heart is to now want to be pure. It's it's to move that direction. So <sighs> I, I think holiness is dealt with in the cross. We are purified. We are made holy in Jesus' work more than anything. And so, you know, I tell people, once you become a Christian, now what? It's not about heaven later. It's about heaven now. It's about on earth um, as it is in heaven, you know, on earth now. Like, But my whole point is that God as a person is a really full-bodied personality. He's loving He's honest. Sometimes he's intense. I mean, there's times where he's straight called me out before, and I'm listening. I'll hear him say, Tim, you're complaining right now. And I'm like, you're right. I am. I need to deal with it.
1: To hear that, you know, it it so changes the dynamic of it really does. It really does. And I have actually wrestled with this for a while because I've always thought, well, God is holy and he's, you know, he's wrathful. You know, I mean, he's, I mean, look at the book of Revelation. Look at the Old Testament, guys. Look at the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You almost have this dichotomy of, well, God is wrath. He hates sin. He hates sin. So how can I come to him knowing that I screwed up, knowing that I, I've sinned? How can I come to him knowing he hates that?
0: Yeah, I mean, theologically speaking, that stuff's done away with in the cross. I mean, the wrath of God was put on Jesus. It's what we're. You know, I read a book by Henry Cloud, um, or Cloud and Townsend. I think it was called, uh, it was about growing. I'm trying to remember the name of it. But he basically said, if we think God is angry at us, then we are denying the full work of the cross. Because Jesus takes the wrath of God on the cross. He deals with it. We are, So in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation, means there is therefore now no condemnation. Like, he's not pissed at us anymore. He loves us, and so the question is: When the anger is dealt with in the cross, once you've once you're in the fold, and you are now his, you are now his child. Then what? Is he just sitting around going, "Now I'm keeping track, Tim. As soon as you screw up, you're out the fold." I mean, it's like I think he's like, "Let's have a relationship, and let's talk, and let's do what we were meant to do from the beginning. Let's let's start this over." I think is what the gospel. It's a start over. He, he wants to have relationship again. And yeah, we're having, we have problems and yeah, we have a flesh. We need to submit and we need to grow. But I think God is the most desirous person on the, in, the, in the universe.
1: I'm reminded in the book, Refrain by Bryden Harden, where he talks about the idea that once we become, once you actually uh, come to follow Christ, it's like he's, Giving giving back Eden. It's like he's restoring the relationship that we once had in Eden, but we have it better because Adam and Eve walked with God. We have God in us.
0: Once you start walking with Jesus and you start hearing his voice and it becomes more of a way of life, there's no you don't want to go back. Tim, let's
1: face it, you and I could talk about this stuff all day. We really could. I mean, there are so many and I and I think honestly you're gonna have to come back. Is there a book that has been the most influential to you that you have read?
0: Around the heart. I mean, I would say John Eldridge's book, The Journey of Desire, really kicked it off for me. There's not I don't think there's a ton of resources. I mean, Larry Crabb wrote a book called Inside Out, which, as I understand it, uh, Larry Crabb was really behind a lot of the heart movement in the U.S. Uh, He taught some of the people that are into it now. And I was influenced by some of those people when I lived in Denver. They're all they're all Denverites. Or Colorado Springsites. Well,
1: it sounds know. like if I go to Colorado, I'm going to have to meet up with some of them. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. where can people find you online?
0: My website is designdiscovery.com. And I'm, I'm blogging there. I, you know, I, I offer some, I, I build a free five fold test, uh, which is the five gifts in Ephesians 4 um, that you can take as well. Um, and then I, I, I'm a coach professionally. Uh, I coach people around this stuff and help them discover their design and have a whole process and you can connect with me on the website. And I'll
1: just, and I will just say this, guys, I've actually done a coaching session with him. <laughs> it has been incredible. So if, if you guys really want to go check it out, I mean, seriously, I couldn't give any stronger recommendations. So,
0: thank you um,
1: You know, I really couldn't. It has just been incredible. With that, I want to thank you for coming on the show.
0: Thank you. My pleasure.